Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome to the All In Podcast. The League of Legends podcast that discusses the most popular fan opinions around the LCS. We don't just want you to listen to the show, we want you to be a part of the show. So join our Discord and join the conversation. Now, here's your hosts, the League Dad, Kevin, Mitchell, and Alistair. Welcome to the All In Podcast. It's just going to be me and Kevin today. Uh, I'm Mitchell, by the way. And uh, we're going to be talking about MSI and, uh, yeah, the last week that happened. So it's the first bracket uh, and then the games right after that. So the first round of the upper bracket that we're going to be talking about. Because in the very next week, we do all the rest of the games, right, with the uh, finishing out of the lower bracket into all the way to the finals on Friday, May, or Sunday. May 21st, yes. So um, we're going to cover all the games that happened between May 9th and May 14th, so the last week or so. Um, yeah, but first, how are you doing, Kevin? Just wanted to talk about, uh, you know, a little bit about you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Planning to move potentially soon, so that'll be fun. But besides that, life's been pretty nice, good. Nice, nice. That's good. Um, I guess I'll ask myself how life's doing. I got food poisoning. That was terrible. Oh. Um, and I kind of missed the morning podcast cutoff, so we have to do an afternoon podcast cutoff without the league dead. So that's my bad. Should not have eaten that. I don't even know what food poisoning got me. I was just dying. I just went to a dinner and had a mm. variety of foods. And then I had dessert after, so it could have been anything. But... uh <laughs> we're okay now we're alive um and i'm excited to talk about these games so let's just uh let's do a little bit of interesting drama talk super quickly um what's up with the uh, alioya niski and some spanish tweeters casters is going on that was very strange i definitely got some traction on uh the twitters and the reddits um you, you have a quick uh rundown of what that happened there yeah, the quick rundown is essentially they posted a picture of Niski, who's Belgian, and a picture of El Yoya side by side after the match where they got smacked. Uh, and Elia look, looks really sad. Niski's smiling, and they're like, "This is what it looks like when someone cares, and this is what it looks like when someone." The attitude of someone who doesn't care or something like that. I'm paraphrasing, but essentially that was the point. They posted it on Twitter. It was a Spanish caster, like one of the people who do broadcasts for in Spanish. Uh, I don't know if it was co-streamer or a literal like official Riot caster, but either way, they're part of the broadcast team to some extent. And so it got a lot of traction. And so that blew up. I buy one of I buy, uh, one of the really big co-streamers with Koi. He has like 100K viewers mm. in the Spanish stream. Also chimed in mm. apparently. Either way, this escalated. And then Niski replied and said that your mom's a whore <laughs> oh, on Twitter. Sheesh. Uh, it got deleted, but there, I mean, the internet yep. doesn't forget. So uh, <laughs> I, I will give my thoughts. But uh, shortly, I would think that a lot of people just cope differently, right? Like, and it's fine to be like smiley after a game as long as you're like, you know, you're not like making fun of the fact that, that you guys lost. You're just like, yeah, you know, like we lost guys. We got schooled. We'll do better next time. You know, I think like the most famous example I could think of was like perks or caps, like mostly perks. He will smile a lot after like they would just lose a match. And then this is famously how G2 would just go 0-2 and then come back or go 2-1 and then come back and win the next two to three games. So I think the mentality matters. I think if everyone's joking around, yeah, that might suck a little bit. But 
a good mix of serious and joking around is, is good for a team balance. So I I think it's really nothing. And I think that it's just a lot of drama because El Yoya is Spanish and Niski is more French Belgian, like that kind of side. So there's probably a lot of Twitter drama. Yeah, the, the the weird topic to discuss in this like podcast is like there's racial tension in between European countries that I think probably flies over our heads because we're not from Europe. We're not European. We're not even of those ethnicities or descents. We don't speak those languages. Um, so I think a lot of people, this can be like very personal maybe, but it's League of Legends, right? This is, it shouldn't really be about that kind of stuff. Um, so we'll, we'll just like kind of float past that. But like in terms of Niski being happy after the game and smiling, I mean, there's been a ton of interviews and a ton of insight about the Mad Lions team itself, where they have a very good team environment. So, um, and that's one of the things like Hill is saying, he said he loved when he joined the team in, in Karzi, why he decided to come back and stuff, why Niski decided to stay. Even after they had a, a really rough play-ins last year at Worlds, losing to EG, right? So many of these players decided to stay because the team environment's great. They have a good time together. They seem to not like let the pressure get them to them to them too much and they did have a rough international tournament but i mean no one expected them to even get to this international tournament right they won the whole split so i would say niski smiling at the end i mean he's got another split to play he's got another time to qualify for worlds yeah keep your spirits up be happy like yeah you got dumpstered at msi it's not the end of your career it's not the end of your life just you know keep you gotta keep playing more in a couple of weeks anyway. So I personally am down with it, right? That's the kind of person I would want to work with if I'm in like a working environment is Niski. He clearly plays the game a lot. He's clearly very talented, very skilled, tries a lot, but he's not down and depressed for the next few days or weeks after when I have to scrim with him and practice with him. I think that's someone who I'd want to work with. So I think in terms of like Elioy is upset because he lost competitive drive and stuff. That's a different topic, but I mean, why are we hating on Elio or Niski for it, for being happy? So, Right. I will say, don't call the other person's yeah, mom a whore. Yeah, that's on, not good either. Internet. There's that's no not need. Good either. <laughs> that's not, it's League of Legends, as you said. <laughs> and he did delete it, but like, I, I'm sure he said it when he was very yeah. upset. Uh, so that's not, a, that's not a win for him. He's been in the scene for long enough. So it's, you know, they both were wrong. They're both little yeah. kids, it feels I, like. I feel like for Niski, it's like... It's like a knee-jerk reaction, and I feel like even when he was on Cloud9, he was prone to those two, um, hmm. and that's a bummer, right? Like, it's, it feels like something like Dublif would do, maybe way back in the day. Like, he would just <laughs> knee-jerk right. it, everyone would attack him for it, but like, okay, delete. I'm sorry, guys. I shouldn't have said that. You know, um, the Spanish caster just calling it out in the first place, that felt just like, I don't know, it felt a mix of just being really stupid and ha- being to- socially tone deaf, but also like cloud chasing maybe. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't think most people in general knew who this guy was. So I still, I still don't, don't know don't, who it is. I just know he's a but we're mentioning caster. him. Right. So like at the very least, it's yeah, like, that's true. I don't know. I mean, not the worst clout chasing that you could have done, you know, maybe you could have boosted his <sighs> Twitter likes and following and stuff. So pretty stupid, but I mean, that's the reality of things, right? You say something controversial, it gets you more likes and views. Um, all right. That's that was true. a fun topic. Let's move on from that and let's get into the nitty gritty stuff. The games, what do you want to talk about first? EU getting dumpstered or NA getting dumpstered? We're just going to do it really quickly. We're just going to like, be like, yeah, they got dumpstered. It was rough, blah, blah, blah. These other teams looked. Let's start with EU just because it was the first game. Right, yeah, so G2 versus Gen.G. This was, um, 
a pretty one-sided series, but Gen G or G2 did get one game off. It was a very weird draft and a very weird game. Um, yeah, essential synopsis I'll give of my feelings on it is that like pretty much Gen G was just dumpstering them two games in a row. They went for an experimental draft in game three. It was like three tanks and then Zeri Nidalee. Uh, pretty low damage. Pretty takes a long time to ramp up and stuff. Chovy was kind of checked out, right? Whatever. And then game three came around. Back to business for Genji. It was still a bit closer on G2's side, but it didn't really feel like G2 ever had a chance, even though they won a game. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I will say game four, I thought it was a little closer yeah. as well. But I think the Euphoria podcast said like they should have won Game Four, and I'm like, mm, that's a bit, a little bit too yeah. far. I think they showed a respectable show, and G2 themselves said they thought they could win that series. So like, uh, I forget who said it on G2, but I'm like, okay, I can respect that. Maybe they actually thought, you know, we were on our game today, and we put up a fight against Genji. If that's the case, honestly. This was the most respectable showing the West gave. Against they were these, the so. only win from the West in the entire first round. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's rough out there. We win a combined one in 12 uh, in the first round. Uh, and kind Ooh. of just in total, right? West versus East, because it's kind of weird to count West versus West games, right? Um, so, yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a sad time. Uh, let's let's talk quickly about bad lies. We already mentioned them, but, you know, they got 3-0'd by um whatchamacallit by uh t1 and there was a very close game one it was actually really hyped to watch um and then just the wind flew out of the sails right i i think i mentioned last time on the podcast that mad lions is like untiltable well i was wrong uh, they lost that game one and it did feel like um they just had nothing left for game two and three they retired or didn't have any more strats or they're just figured out not playing as you know, crisply as, you know, aggressively as they were in game one. So, um, yeah, quick thoughts on Mad Lions versus T1. Yeah, so my quick thoughts on Mad Lions versus T1. Game one, very impressive. They had a great game plan early game. They just, like, they just schooled T1. It was really sick to watch. Then they looked like the dumbest <laughs> team in the world. Like, it wasn't just one engage. It was, like, five different engagements across the map, just terrible plays. And I, it was honestly painful. Like, I think T1 definitely picked up the ball that was being dropped. But it was like, I think 60% Mad Lions just being completely terrible. And then 40% T1 being an excellent team to take advantage of it. Yeah. It was it was rough for them. I, I, I do also have to question just like some general like draft stuff that Mad Lions chose. Like banning Jace on your side, on blue side, when Chasey is probably, that's his best champion. And Chasey might even be the best player on that team when he's on Jace too. I, I, ah, man, I really wish that he got to play the Jace. Um, that would have been exciting because I think it would have been a great pick for him to maybe do a little mm-hmm. 1v9ing because it's not like his Kennen was bad, but Kennen, it felt like when you're playing at least into a Cassante or to some tanks and stuff with a Nautilus too, it can feel like you know, you're more of a side character, right? You're more of like a supportive, like you get in their CC and you, you die pretty quickly and then you're, you're relying on the rest of your team. I think personally, Chasey on Jace is just the best player on that team and if he'd gotten that, I don't know, maybe you could have popped off. Maybe you could have done something really special against T1, especially in that game one where they had um, so much, you know, just fire in them left. Uh, and then, you know, just the cannon kind of started to fall off for them. Um... Yeah, and then, you know, Faker, he did the Nautilus mid, right? He stole one from Caps. Um, that's something that I think 
a lot of people expected, right? T1 and Faker, they're the only teams that were rumored to actually scrim all the other teams uh, at MSI. Um, I believe JDG and like BLG and stuff. And uh, they actually like, and Gen G, they actually avoid scrimming the majority of people and they're just focused on scrimming each other. Um, but T1, you know, they picked up some fun stuff and then, you know, they brought it into their next series uh, against Gen G. But we'll cover that a bit later. So let's talk about. Um, C9 versus BLG. I think this is where things started to get real sad <laughs> for the West. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, give me some my quick thoughts on goodness. this. My quick thoughts on C9 versus BLG. I thought C9 did put up a fight. I, they were like kind of skirmishing back and forth and like generally up in kill count the whole time against BLG, which was impressive. And I was happy about the plays they were making proactively. Uh, my MVP for the series would actually be Blabber and then mm. Berserker. I think Blabber was the one who actually had a pulse and had to make a lot of things happen and then got Berserker fed mm-hmm. constantly. And then Berserker did play fine and pretty well, actually, mechanically in the series. But it was clear that either two parts, he wasn't as good as Elk was individually or his team couldn't enable him. And I think it's probably more of the enabling part. But honestly, like Elk just looked better. He was the most infamous part was game three. 30k damage on Lucian, who's mm-hmm. 0-3, not even giving the resources to. And then we have like a 4-1-5-1-6-1 Jinx, who did like 9.9k or some shit like that. It was pretty sad to watch. And obviously, anyone who plays AD Carry knows you need space to do damage. And you need Peel to do damage. But he had all the resources on him, and he just couldn't find anything, right? And so... It was a little sad to watch. I do think the Sinai did actually put up a very reasonable fight, but they looked like they were getting out macroed. Like it felt like they did their idea, the macro game, they just didn't understand. The skirmishes, the gank game, they were actually better than BLG. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. I uh I tend to agree. I think uh it wasn't uh, it was Berserker on Zaya, right? I think was the game potentially. Yeah, yeah. Oh yes. Uh, that's okay. Uh and yeah, so I, I tend to agree that like, yeah, C9, they played a lot of the early skirmishes. Um, it's just like the early parts of the game pretty solidly, pretty well. Uh, and it's actually something that we discussed off podcast, uh, last week, but I want to bring up a lot of those same ideas is like, it, it, it feels some weird, different kind of doomed where we get kills early. We get like these weird leads, but for some reason we're still behind or even in gold. And then we get to the mid game and like none of that kill pressure or like that snowballing that we really like got mattered because at the end they still are farming better somehow they still have more gold somehow and their team fight coordination is just better and their mechanics are slightly better and they just have like more awareness when it comes to like map movements linking macro it definitely felt like for this for uh blg it felt like c9 was doing lots of great stuff for the first maybe 10 15 minutes and even the but the, like the the sense in like the feelings of the game was that BLG was just going to win anyways. Um, and I think that that is just, I don't know. It, it's just region diff. It's like, um, you know, how you practice the game, how you play the game, just at a, at a kind of a different level for these uh, Chinese and Korean teams where, man, like BLG was just able to win. <laughs> like, even though it felt like they shouldn't have won, <laughs> like sometimes, right? Like, oh, we're getting ahead. We're getting kills. Like, the right players are getting ahead too, right? We have a fed Nocturne. We have a fed uh, Zaya. Um, but it's just it's just not enough for some reason. Um, so, yeah. I mean, BLG, we, we, it, we were thinking they would be the weakest team and that we could maybe bring in a close series. A lot of us predicted 3-2 in favor of BLG, but C9 would be like competitive and actually able to take games. But like, it really feels like unless you're a certain threshold of skill, 
doesn't matter what you do in the game. You can't even finish winning that game. Like you can't even complete the game and and uh, end it against them. Uh, that's how big the gap mm. has gotten. Is they can like they can just be lazy and you can get kills on them, but you will never actually fully end the game against a Chinese or Korean team. So hopefully we can break that when we talk about the preview for next week. Uh, so let's just go quickly to JDG uh, golden guardians. I think we're going to share a lot of the same sentiments as this last series, but we can talk about it super quick. Yeah. I think the highlights of JDG versus golden guardians Lakers yep. look good. He like, he's against potentially the best top so winner in the world cool. right now in terms of all around. And he's just yeah. playing well. Like, yeah, he went six, seven, six over three games, but he he individually had pressure, had good looks in team fights, had good looks in soloing. Like, he's back. That's really sick, and I'm really excited for that because I was like already starting to build hype for him. And you know, he was beating up playing teams, whatever. He looked good enough against Bin. That was like actually quite good against Bin. So he's just shown a good form. He's just good. Uh, his builds were dog. <laughs> he was trying to build like second or third. So he was super fed on Cassante. He went Iceborne Gauntlet, uh, Gargoyle, yeah. which is fine. And then he built, or maybe he was going in second, but he went yeah. Fawn into like a three AD team. And there was like an, there was one AP. I was like, what? Are, what? What are you going to mm-hmm. do with that? Uh, so that's fine. You know, you can't do everything correctly, but he was super good. But the bad news is that uh, Stick Say is not good enough internationally uh, just to compete. Like I was saying, Berserker was like in cl- outclass. Stick Say was actually a liability, though. Like he was legitimately the reason why some of these like skirmishy games, Golden Guardians were finding looks in. It was just like, it, it was impossible to win in. Uh, I think River and Gory held up fine enough, but like JDG's across the board was too strong. It was like you get some early kills and then it was completely pointless afterward. Yeah. I, I would say um the for definitely for for Stixay's sake that he was struggling in lane a lot, especially like just avoiding dying in the first uh, few levels of the game. And that was rough. And then a lot of the mid game skirmishes, his execution was quite rough. Um but, you know, it, it was tough. But, yeah, to talk about Licorice on a positive note, I think he played amazingly well. He was getting – he solo killed 369 in game two. Uh, overall, just, like, his ability to, like, get involved with the team and just have an impact and just be in the right place was just super on point. This is something that we are probably complaining about him during the regular season was that he just didn't seem like he was involved with Golden Guardians. It felt like four teams and then a Licorice, right? But he was almost, like – right there in it with all the main engagers, like very, very well involved, very coordinated. I speak, I'm speaking mostly about game two, right? Uh, where they had so much freaking engage. Uh, they had the Cassante, they had the, uh, the Vi, the Lissandra, and then the Tristana rel combo. Like it was just tons and tons of engage. And for the first like 15 minutes, maybe even 20 minutes, it was very coordinated. It was in there. They were together. They were fighting. They were all in. Uh, and I love to see it, like how aggressive they were. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just, there's this other concept I want to talk about is when you have like these comps with a ton of engage um, and you have like someone like Ruler on the enemy team who's playing like a Zeri or a Jinx or whatever, or just like, you know, a high profile ADC, honestly. In this meta, ADC is probably the most important champion uh, in terms of like uh, dealing damage late game, obviously. So, um, you know, you blow all your engage and you get a really clean pick, right? Maybe even get two kills uh, or you like get a bunch of ki- – you get some, a kill and blow some summoners and uh, get some people low, right? But you don't actually use your engage on the Zeri. 
So like you kill the LeBlanc fast or you, you kill the, the Gnar super fast and you're all full health, but you don't actually have your ultimates for the Zeri. They can 3v5 you or they can 4v5 you because Ruler knows his limits so well. It's Zeri. It's a broken champion. And they cut you in a 3v5, 4v5 situation. And they actually win. And they know they're smart enough. They have the skills and hands to do it that they can win in these scenarios. So that's something that I found kept happening, especially in JDG games, is you even look at the BLG series we'll talk about later, is that they were able to get clean picks. They were able to get really strong engages. But when they go to the objective after or when they're trying to leave the situation later and go to lanes, they actually end up losing and getting kited and picked off and dying to Ruler, who you didn't spend your cooldowns on because he's untouched and he doesn't. he's not afraid. He'll 3v5 you. So that is something that I think is very interesting. And it's like um, something I actually kind of figured out from ARAM is like, some guy on the enemy team, it's like easy to engage on, but it doesn't matter. You have to save your engage. You have to be patient. You have to wait. Just let them just not – don't like kill them, honestly. Just don't fight them and save your primary abilities for the, the most important champion, which was you know whatever rule is playing. So um, mm-hmm. that's a bit of a rant that I went on to, but it's something I kept seeing, especially against JDG, and I'm sure you can notice it in other games as well. Um, but yeah, I mean – we can wrap up this conversation because we're going to talk more about Golden Guardians in a second. Um, they played well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was no one expected them to do anything against JDG, and they definitely did something. So good for them. Um, so let's move on to the next round. Uh, let's start with the exciting series, Gen.G versus T1. What are your thoughts, Kevin? <laughs> um, so this series, at first I was like, wow, uh, Gen.G is just not drafting at all like they did in the finals. Like I watched the whole LCK run and I thought Genji had a better idea of the meta and it looks like in this meta they didn't like we, we forgot saying we had T1 playing Poppy what the <laughs> hell uh, and so I think that they need to put Peanut on something that he's actually good at instead of like copying whatever everyone else is playing in the meta looks like Poppy's just winning all the time whenever I see Poppy it's at least a positive influence so I think they should be looking to prioritize that more uh, T1 we all know what happened we, know, we all know what we're going to talk about that game <laughs> 3 throw like what in <laughs> God's name. I'm going to let you get into it more, but what in God's name? That was the dumbest <laughs> crap I've ever seen. And I do want to preface, though. T1 is going to probably be rated the second best team going in right now uh, in the world because of that game. But like, if they don't do that, they look like a 3-0 dominant over Genji, and a Genji 3-0 is worth more than a BLG mm-hmm. 3-0. So I can't tell, but if T1 had won that, I would have definitely been saying T1's the number one team in the world. The fact that they almost tilted and got reverse swept, though, like, I definitely have to question, like, what, what is the mental on this team? And what are they thinking? Like, what are they doing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but T1 still deserved the 3-0. That, that should have been a 3-0. They just, they lost their minds. Guma gave a thousand gold over. Like, we, <laughs> this, is, this is nonsense. Um, the last thing I'll mention, we'll get into when Genji comes up again. Or we don't need to get into because they already played. Uh, Genji's pace and delight, especially delight, but even pace to some extent, just not as good as they were domestically. These guys are either rookies or not very experienced players. On the international stage, pace is literally mm. a rookie. He was really good. He looked better than Guma at times in the finals and just during playoffs. This this game, he just looked like he was making a lot of mistakes. Um, I think he's 
for some reason, he's more nervous mm-hmm. here. Maybe it's just because you're not home. You're not in Korea. You had bad food, bad solo queue. The boss interview. I don't know <laughs> what's been going on. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a tough life for Gen G rookies. I hope they bounce back. Luckily, there's a loser's yep, bracket. Yep. Luckily, they have another chance, which is what's great about this format. Yeah, I'll talk a bit about that game three throw. You know what it reminds me of, actually? It reminded me of um, mm. 2018 IG versus KT where it felt like IG, you know, they're up 2-0. Uh, it felt like they were pretty dominant. Goes to game three. They're on the edge of a 3-0, and it's incredibly close. They fumble it at the base, and, you know, the other team wins, and it actually ends up going to five games. And then, But they end up <laughs> winning the series anyway. So it's kind of like, oh, my God, they threw. About to get reverse swept. Oh, they saved it and didn't get reverse swept and won anyways. Super, like strange like how to feel about the series and stuff like that but still exciting because it went to five games still exciting because i had a crazy uh reason why we went to five games but at the end of the day the team that would looked more dominant at the beginning ended up winning and coming back in game five so i liked that comparison in terms of like it felt like a you know we've seen something like it before in a weird way um the actual situation though um Chovy actually did something really, really special that people have been talking about mm. where uh, in game three, uh, he's playing Rumble. Uh, Chovy is getting run down by uh, Scion and Kha'Zix is like about to jump on him. So as soon as Chovy gets to his fountain as he's running away from the Scion, he buys a stopwatch and presses it and it manages to save him. And Kha'Zix's owner ends up executing to turret i believe or dying just like to the turret uh like the fountain yeah. or the turret i think yeah, it was the like turret because the way he ran through to try and jump on him he was running just through turrets and he just had a bunch of turret shots like mm-hmm. like homing seats onto him from behind and it just looked in general it was just a weird looking situation right and then obviously scion doesn't have enough damage to kill a rumble on fountain um it's one of those super clutch like shop APM mechanics that you don't really get to see a lot of, but it's like, you know, you're getting like, let's say you lost a game super hard and you're getting Fountain Dove, you buy a stopwatch, you use it, and then you you buy a Zonia's and then use it, and then you sell it and you buy a GA, right? So um, this mm-hmm. stuff is really hard. I think a lot of co-streamers, a lot of pro players uh, were talking about how like this mechanic, even though it's not used common at all, is really hard to do and they were saying most of them probably couldn't be able to do it, right? Because it's just not a situation they're used to. It requires a lot of brain power to do something. Um, so really clutch stuff from that. Wanted to talk about it. Uh, but overall, it did feel like this was a series, I agree with you, where it was like T1 had a chance to cement themselves as like a real dominant threat in this tournament. T1 versus JDG was going to be an absolute banger. It still is going to be, but the mental of the players is something that I want to bring up too, is where... Um, yeah, it feels like it. It's hard to pinpoint what exact player has is having a rough mental. Game four from T1 looked really, really rough. Um, game five was just super clean too. So it's like I don't know what's going on. It must be some sort of like shot calling and overall team vibe that's causing them the issue. So whoever their main shot callers are, I'm guessing is Faker and Caria. Maybe their calls are just getting more cluttered or less confident in those games they're losing. Uh, and then when they can just calm down and do it right, the game just looks super one-sided and clean in Game 5. So I wonder what that is. Um, you know, all these players do have a lot of chips on their shoulder from barely losing in so many different finals, right? So um, I hope they can keep it together and show something good against JDG. But 
yeah, interesting, very interesting series. Any final thoughts on this series? Uh, mostly that Genji should look better as they get through the lower bracket. This wasn't a finals, yep. guys. So this is not... Everyone's saying that T1 should be tilting. Only Zeus tilts in playoffs. The rest of T1 is actually very solid until finals. So honestly, this could be pretty bad for T1 long-term. But like objectively, it's hard to say because they, they look good. Yep. So uh, yeah. It's not a finals, guys. That's not the narrative. <laughs> not yet, anyways. <laughs> um, Genji, uh, they will drop down to face C9. So it'll be a nice... Uh, well, no, I mean, we'll see what happens. But theoretically, it'll be a nice confidence boost for the rookies for Pays and Delight or whatever to, you know, get some good gaming in before they, they move on. Um, kind of unfortunate for our C9 boys that they have to do this. But this is this is what, you know, MSI is. You face the good teams uh, when, you, when you advance. So um, let's move down to the next match um, that happened. It was, what, Mad versus G2. Pretty quick. G2 just kind of mopped the floor with them. Mad was kind of um, dead in the water. Any any uh, quick thoughts you want to throw at them before we move on? Uh, the only last thought I wanted to say is Mad Lions, these guys have a deep buff internationally. They've had so many roster changes, so many like good players walk through this organization. Elioia is definitely a top-class jungler. And like I even thought their top laner is like doing well. But the problem is like it, it doesn't matter, yeah. man. Uh, Chasey, sorry, I forgot yeah. his name for a second. They just can't. They they haven't won sh- crap internationally for a while. They lost 3-0 to EG last MSI. They are always doing poorly internationally. I think this team has a curse because I think they have good team environment, seem to have good players. They win. They they reverse swept. They just can't win internationally. Yeah. I think they lose their first match internationally. They're like, it's happening yep. again. And the coaches and the staff are like, oh, God. <laughs> so, uh I feel bad for them, but they also did send the, the whole like F you, every F you, the haters video right after the LEC finals, which they mm. deserved mm-hmm. to have. So I kind of, I kind of would give them props to that. Like, nah, actually it's our bad guys. <laughs> we got screwed. We got screwed again. Yeah. It's a weird thing. It's been happening since like 2020, right? Mad Lions reaches international. Yeah. They don't make it out of plans. And then twice now it's, it's their weird team. Very weird team. They're not bad, just weird, right? Um, I I still, you know, I'm going to just repeat my sentiment earlier. I wish Chasey got Jace. I just wish they gave him Jace. They did get Jace game one, and they gave it to Niski, and he kind of ran it down. I wish they just gave him freaking Jace on, the, on Chasey, but um, they didn't do it. I mean, they had, I think game two, right, was uh, kind of, was pretty close. Uh, Mad Lions was able to do something, but I mean... Oh my god, just to talk about G2 for a little bit. Their drafts and their flexibility is so crazy. They can do so many weird flexes. Um, Belveth is just no one else in the world is playing it except Yike. Uh, the Cassiopeia top was definitely just like complete curveball. It's not like it's weak. I don't think anybody is going to say Cassiopeia top is weak. It's just no one's playing it. And no one... Mm-hmm. Probably really knows the matchups super well. Um, Nautilus mid, obviously, right? I feel like you just don't give G2 Nautilus. Like, that should just be a staple ban. Mad Lions, obviously, they thought that they could beat it with Cassante mid or something like that, which is fair. You know, that's what makes sense as like a as like a mid lane counter. But I was really thinking it was going to be Silas, right? Silas is like one of Niski's best champions. But oh well, didn't go for it. I think, um, you know, that can sum up the thoughts that we can throw out the series before we move on because we got a lot yep. to cover. Um, the next one is JDG versus BLG. Uh, this was actually a pretty fun series, even though it was a three zero. I'll let you go first and talk about it. 
JDG actually didn't stomp him like people might think by the scoreline. There was a lot of back and forth in all the games. JDG just showed a lot of class and team fights. Uh, I think infamously in game three, there was basically the most perfect like series of team fights I've pretty much seen in a long mm-hmm. time. And a lot of people have noticed, right? Like it was incredible. Uh, I think Ruler was clearly like the best player overall in terms of games one or games one and two, probably game three. I, he, he almost entered the game multiple times actually. And I don't, I, I was actually losing my mind. I was like looking at some online polls and they're like, who is the MVP of like the whole series? And like, really? Yeah, it makes sense. But it was like 90%. It was a Korean vote to be fair, but it was 90%. And then they were like, he was just, he was just so perfect. I'm like, did we not just watch the same game through? He like flashed in. He basically did the exact same thing Guma did. Except that Knight carried his ass uh, through a lot of those. And not just Knight. Knight 369, everyone came together for some of the most beautiful peeling and space making I've ever yeah. seen. Like, I'm pretty sure you could have put a lot of people in the situation as the AD carry and they would have looked good because they just had unlimited space to play with. I mean, Ruler still played amazing, but he wasn't perfect. His team was also playing really well around him. And I think this is the first time we've seen Knight internationally play to the level like, you expect. finally, right? He's been good. <laughs> Yeah, like other international, he's been good, like better than an average mid laner from China, sure. But he hasn't been like number one, number two, whatever you expect, right? So finally, his syndrome was amazing. I've, I saw him land like four multi-man stuns in the river. So holy cow, I'm, I'm really excited for them. But they did only beat BLG, which they've already beaten before. They beat, they beat them like it's their freaking day <laughs> job, right? Which it is. So it doesn't mean as much as beating Gen G or T1. That's what I want yeah. to add. Yeah, it was still um, it was still a one sided series in terms of result score. JDG was always going to be favored against these guys. Um, JDG was favored to them when they played in the finals in LPL. But I mean, still the games were really hype, and I think um, yeah, to your point, right? This is something that is just like so unique about this team is that you have. Players like 369, Kanavi, Knight, these guys are like hard carry players. These guys can 1v9 a game for you playing like resource heavy, damage dealing carry champions. And yet they also can switch on this mode where they can play tanks, they can play supportive champions, and they can play a supportive style where they're not just only looking for the engage. They're not only just looking to how to dive the backline. They're not only looking for a good wombo combo. They're looking to peel their ADC all at the same time. They're doing all these things like in cohesion with each other. It, it is really, it feels like it's one person being able to play five champions instead of five individuals like coming together to do one thing. Like it, it's really cool. Like, that there's a clip that I think is going around in game five, obviously, where Knight has a bunch of crazy five man stuns. Ruler is, you know, weaving in and out. He gets he gets hit by a stun. He gets McHale's almost instantly and stuff like that. Like it's just, you know, they're building Knight's vow. They're building McHale's. They're building all these supportive items um, for Ruler. It feels like someone like Kanavi, right? He always struck me as a player who was a carry jungler, and I think he just defaulted that in all his years on. Uh, JDG because he never had a uh, maybe it wasn't a meta that suited or he didn't have a player to rely on enough right he was always with Yigao also playing mm-hmm. more of a supportive mid lane style so you just kind of have to put your hopes on 369 or whatever ADC you had at the time but now that you have Ruler it's like it's not like he's playing perfectly but he is always able to push the limits really hard and more often than not, it works out for him. So 369 is able to just be really smart, not have to put on the carry pants, build a Knight's Vow, and like focus on 
doing that hybrid sort of engage slash peel for ruler. Uh, it's really complicated stuff that's hard to talk about even just like in a podcast setting um, without just like going through little movements and stuff. And um, yeah, yeah, it's it's really impressive stuff that this team has to offer for JDG. Um, and it was just a fun series overall in general. Um, any more thoughts you guys you want to throw at this uh, before we move on to our final series of MSI that we have to talk about? Uh, the only last thought I had was <laughs> until until their match that they play, JDG is probably the first like international super team we've seen like look really yep. good in terms of just gelling together. Like you know, a lot of super teams just win games because there's so much talent, but this team looked like they actually could do something special. So. I'm really impressed by that, but we'll see. It could all change after the match yeah. against Team We got to <laughs> wait till finals because I remember even like teams like Longju or Kingzone, right? They actually looked insanely good until the finals where they got bopped. So yeah, we do have exactly. to wait uh, for the super team to reach finals and, and kind of look at it in hindsight. Um, yeah, I just want to talk about, sorry, super quickly, just like before we move on from this JDG team is like, you know, I think a lot of people will be like, why is there such a big gap between NA and and EU and Asia, right? Mm. And like when you look at like what JDG is doing, you can't actually do what they do just by watching the game. You can't do what JDG does just by watching the game. Like you can try and emulate it for sure, but honestly, to actually be able to do the things that JDG does, you need to know what they're saying in comms. You need to know how they're moving their camera. You need to know like how they're clicking, right? You honestly need to look into how they practice with each other and watch their scrims and watch them talk to each other in their scrims. Like this kind of stuff, I don't think you could just watch JDG play thousands of hours of professional games and just copy it. It's not possible. It's there's too much stuff going beneath the surface for the decision making for 369 and Kanavi and missing and all this stuff to like peel properly for ruler for ruler. What is he thinking and doing? And when does he choose to go in for night? Like when does he choose to use this scatter of the week or when does he choose to hold like all these things you can't just copy it. So I, I think there's a lot of people out there that maybe are like trying to figure out what the difference is between uh, the West and the East. And the answer has never been simple, but the answer is evolving in that, it's clearly not like have a competent laning phase and have a competent early game, right? Like it doesn't work anymore. That's what was our problem before where we would just get blasted in the laning phase. We kind of fixed that and now it just doesn't freaking mm-hmm. matter. We win laning phase even and we go to the mid game, late game, and we just get out team fought. So um, hot take. I think the West just have better laning phases across the board against Korea and Asia and China. Like – Across the board, we won probably at least more than 50% yeah. of the time. Yeah. The laning phases are honestly like – we. that's the thing that we had a problem with for so long and we improved on it a lot. But the uh, the mid and late game macro and shot calling and just the team fighting in general, like there's just a whole lot of aspects and a whole lot of very just specific things I'm sure that we're missing out on that add up to a lot. So, you know, it's hard. It's hard to improve. I don't think anybody can give you a solid answer besides maybe – the actual Asian teams that are beating us, right? The actual players and coaches that are strategizing to just completely dumpster the NA teams and the EU teams. Um, so yeah, let's move on mm. to the best <laughs> series that happened and the worst series at the same time. It's the Civil War of C9 versus Golden Guardians. This was, albeit a fun one to watch, a bit depressing to have to watch though. Um, go go ahead, give your thoughts on the series, Kevin. Uh, my thoughts on the series, uh, I don't like 
the way Golden Guardians kind of like, I feel like they had good looks throughout the tournament. I thought they were the better team uh, coming into this, honestly, because they showed more pose, poise internationally. Uh, but honestly, they they kind of just got kind of got bought by. I feel like the difference in their bot lane, which wasn't as big of a deal. I thought that they didn't get bopped as hard in bot lane in their finals. So I'm kind of sad about how it ended. I kind of wanted to see a little bit more from Licorice. I kind of thought that they had better looks. But on the other side, you, you could argue maybe C9 figured their shit out. I don't think so. I think they just played against a team they weren't nervous against. But if they did figure their shit out and they really can't get more, they have their – they still have a chance. <laughs> we'll get into why I, I'm a little sad about what happens after yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I, I do feel like maybe Golden Guardians kind of fell down in a bit in power level into the series compared to – Considering how they played against JDG, I felt like they played much better against JDG than they did against Cloud9. Um, yeah, and also it's a mix of Cloud9 just being more comfortable and playing against a team that you know they're not afraid of, right? Um, the draft was weird. I think the draft, it's a lot of people have pointed out already on co-streams, but the draft from Golden Guardians and the choices they made were pretty freaking weird, I gotta say. Game 1 draft was full-on, like, hard laning phase, LPL-style. Fiora, Jace, Stixay, just three mega carries with, like, a Maokai and Nautilus in there. Like, we're gonna dumpster you in lane. We're not gonna be able to team fight well because we're just hoping we dumpster you in lane sort of stuff. Spoilers, they did not dumpster in lane, and they got rolled really hard by, like, a just a mega tank comp on the side of C9. Game 2, I also felt like the Rumble pick was really strange. Um... Rumble, they didn't have much lockdown for the Rumble, right? And they're also playing against very mobile champions. You don't want to play against mobile champions as a Rumble. So I thought that late pick was super strange. It felt like Licorice was just like, just give me Rumble. I feel like I can carry sort of thing. But, I mean, into Gragas, into Kha'Zix, into Rakan even, like you're not you're just not able to land good stuff against it. Um, so, you know, some questionable stuff. They did end up winning a game. Um, overall, my feelings are... Licorice did play well. River was able to show that he can play carry champions and carry a game, even though he's notoriously known for playing setup and tank uh, junglers. Um, and yeah, you know, I it's Cloud9 is a solid team. They're good if they can just get their head out of their asses, right? They they played the super crazy early game. This kind of did felt like the finals, right? Where it's like GGS is doing some weird stuff. Cloud9 is winning. Uh, GGS is finally able to figure out a winning strategy against Cloud9, and then Cloud9 throws back with a completely new strategy, and they just go hard early game, right? And they do, in their final game, they do Jace, Nidalee, Cassante, Varus, Heimerdinger, and just shove you in and just blow up their early game super hard. So, Cloud9 showed the same diversity and, um, you know, ad- adaptability they did in their finals in uh, LCS. Um, so, I-, I guess that's consistent, and it was still a 3-1, just like the finals was as well. So, Overall, a fun series. Sad to see Golden Guardians go. Uh, We talked a lot about how they did throughout this tournament. So I think we can just do a solid farewell from them now. Like, you know, it was it was good to have them and it was an amazing run from them. Um, Yeah. Do you have any final quick thoughts to say farewell to Golden Guardians? I would say this is probably one of the better showings from a team that just went from bottom tier, like literally bottom tier yep. perennially to international stage. They did not look like frauds, even though they didn't have their best showing. They actually had some pretty good looks. They didn't tilt that hard. Uh, so I'm pretty happy for them overall. Yep. 
I mean, I, I w- they took a game off BLG. Maybe BLG and yeah. Sai. That's my copium. <laughs> yeah, and they were really close to taking a game off of JDG too. So, sort of. They were close until like maybe 25 minutes. <laughs> um, yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm proud of the boys at G- uh, Golden Guardians. I mean, Licorice, real big glow-up story. And I think the rest of them also played well. And but could have played better, you know. And that's that's the bright side is like they can always improve and learn new stuff and come back stronger in the summer. All right, let's talk. Let's let's talk about just the overall feelings. I want to at least about this format and just how how it feels. Um, it I love double elim, and I think it's the right format for uh competitive integrity and having the best team win and having the best teams play against each other leading up to the finals unfortunately when you have such a massive gap in the regions you get this thing where you go where it's just completely one-sided for a full four days straight of three o's or essentially a three one that's almost a three o right um do we like the format that's just how i'm going to phrase the question I, I like the format. Uh, I like the format because even though there are stomps, there were actually quite a bit of stomps. Like a problem is you couldn't help it either way, right? We're going to go into the same worlds with a lot of the similar teams probably coming back. Just historically, MSI teams tend to repeat for worlds. And we're going to see those, except we're going to have to wait a week. We're going to wait like four days between the matches. There's going to be seven best of fives or some shit like that. After all the group stage stuff is done and the new Swiss system is done. We've gotten like 14, 13. I, I, let's see. We have day. Yeah, we have 12 best of fives just from the bracket stage, not counting play ins. And it only happened over like the course of less than two weeks. That's amazing. Because even if there was a bad game, I'm going to be like, okay, I have hope for tomorrow and the hope for tomorrow. Uh, and there's two chances, right? With the lower bracket. I don't even think Worlds has a lower bracket this year mm, still. I'm not um, sure. Yeah. I might be wrong about that. But from what I heard on other talk shows like Euphoria, I don't think there's a lower bracket. So. I would rather this than not because at the end of the day, like we can't win with it. No format was going to make us win a best of five. We could win a best of one, but the best of fives are more interesting anyways. And it gives us way more practice. Like if you want us to catch up, it can't be through best of ones because you're, you like you cheese and then you're like, all right, well in the best of five, I'm screwed. Just like rogue was last year. They got three would really badly after doing pretty decently in group stage. Yeah, I uh, I think I like it in terms of that competitive integrity stuff. And I like it in terms of like, you know, maybe practice for the worst of regions and teams. And I like that it's super fast paced and then we have games all the time. I think that um, in terms of entertainment and as a fan of the West, and I'm trying to put myself in the perspective mm. of a lot of people who follow under that category, right? It was not very fun to watch. It was not that entertaining to get 3-0 stomped week after week or day after day, I mean. Um, So I do think that maybe, you know, the point of the game is to watch to be entertaining. So maybe there needs to be adjusting in that area. I don't know what those adjustments are, but a very quick, not super well thought out suggestion is to have some combination of best of ones with best of fives, right? With best of threes, or there's a round where somehow you get everybody to play each other and it counts meaningfully, Mm. but no one gets eliminated at the same time. Right? Because I think we're going to, we still have the issue where we miss out a lot of interesting matchups that could have happened in this format we still get a good amount, right? We get all the best teams probably playing each other. But I want, like, maybe, uh, I don't know, 
I'm okay with the tournaments being longer too, because this is the most hyped times of the year. Make the international tournaments longer. Maybe like there are uh, a double round robin, a best ones, and there's the seeding from before. Doesn't matter, and all the double round robin best ones is about seeding into your bracket, and then you do your double elimination format. Makes it the tournament a lot longer. I don't know if that's viable, but. Combining some aspect of the fact that, you know, a lot of regions do best of threes, some regions do best of ones, right? And then everybody does best of fives. It would be cool if we incorporated all types of, like, the game uh, format into the international tournament where we have everybody playing against each mm-hmm. other. Uh, plus, I think it would just be more fun, right? I just want to see more games against different teams playing against each other, right? These are our top two seeds from every region. These are the best of the best. Um, so... Yeah, I think that's just like my quick thoughts on this format just to kind of, you know, appease because I think we were talking about this concept uh, earlier is like the best of five format is just better for better teams for Korea and China because they have more chances to show how much better they are. If you think back to best ones at Worlds last year, um, it's like we won one game uh, at MSI, right? And we lost twice as many games as we would have if it was best of ones <laughs> if it was just best of ones we would have gone like one zero or or one or like we would have like lost oh two or one one right against some of these teams but in best of fives we're losing like three games to these people and winning one so the amount of wins we have has stayed about the same as they are in best of ones but the losses are doubled so it's twice as much time as western fans are depressed and watching their teams lose so that's just mm. my overall thoughts on that format. Uh, any quick thoughts you want to summarize before we go on to next week's games? Yeah, I agree with that. We need the Western viewership for the game to stay alive. It's going to always be popular in China and Korea, sure, like at least for a long time. But if you don't have a more international audience, like what makes League of Legends special, right? Is that everyone's watching. And the other thing I wanted to add on to that for the international audience is we have had some of the highest viewership ever for some of these matches. Like, I think the T1 Genji match at 1.94 million views, and that's only the second. That's the second highest ever behind like the T1 RNG from, I forget what year, but T1 RNG happens a lot in MSI finals. So I'm really hyped. The game's not maybe like starting to shrink a little bit domestically, but even the English speaking audience, whoever was watching on Twitch and all the other channels, like or not English speaking, the non LPL region, the non Chinese mm-hmm. region audience was bigger than ever. So. We need to make sure that international teams would participate because that's how everyone actually cares, yep. right? You don't want all of NA to just stop yep. watching. That would be a huge yep. deal. And then even if it's not as competitively you know, viable, give NA some best of ones just so that they can maybe cheese a game off of a top-tier team and give a little hopium, right? It might be some false hopium, mm-hmm. but like we just needed to see more diversity in who wins and who doesn't win because a lot of the fan base will get disenfranchised. Because uh, they won't feel like it's worth watching for them. Um, yeah. So, all right. Let's move on to next week's topics. Um, this is basically we're just marathoning it all the way to the finals uh, this Sunday. So, um, yeah. Let's just talk about the games that are in front of us and we'll see where the conversation leads us. But G2 versus BLG. Does G2 have a chance? Go ahead, Kevin. G2 probably has the best chance of all the other remaining Western teams, which is only yep. two of them, right? BLG has actually looked better than we expected, right? They looked pretty solid against C9 and took all the hits. G2 played against a much harder opponent than BLG, honestly, in my mind, and they 
they at least took a game when it was given to them and had a good chance in the last game. I think this will be close. I think this will be a 3-2, and I want G2 to win. Uh, I think BLG just doesn't have the X factor to beat the top-tier teams. Uh, they might be a better team than G2, but they can't bring anything new. They won't be JDG yeah, in the finals, yeah. right, for example. <laughs> and are they going to upset T1 or Genji? I highly doubt it. Um, because one of their best players is probably Elk, and he's strangely the worst of the Asian 80 carries left in the tournament. Yeah. Uh, so he might be even worse than Berserker on a good day, but if Berserker was on the same team, being enabled the same way, I think Berserker might have been better. I don't know. But Elk is like still very good, but he's he's definitely worse than Ruler, Guma, and maybe the same as Pays. We'll see. So I want you yeah. to win, uh, and I hope they win. But if I was a betting man, I'd probably bet the other way. But 3-2 is my prediction. Yeah, and my hope. I'm going to do a very similar idea. I want G2 to win as well. I mean, they have our boy Hansama, right? I always want him to do well. He had a rough time here in NA. So I, I, I just, you know, it would be great to see some success from uh, G2. I think that, you know, what they have in advantage is the same advantage they've always had. And it's that very unexpected drafts, they can turn the game into uncharted territories for both teams, right? Definitely for BLG, mm-hmm. but also, you know, for G2, they're just going to pick some stuff. Be like, I mean, we how much real practice have they gotten on Cassiopeia top against like top Asian teams and scrims, right? Um so there's going to be a lot of variance in this in the series, my guess. I think three two is just the hope that we all have, and the scary thing is, is I think it's actually pretty reasonable to predict a three zero for BLG actually, and I think a lot of people mm. will do that because um, as good as G two might look against Mad Lions or as much ramping up as they might be doing between series and series and even though they took a game off of Gen G there's just a fundamental difference between what's going on between the the East versus the West and you know G2's attempt to break the meta and break the standards and be unexpected is probably just not enough um, but I hope it is and I hope we get a 3-2 in favor of G2 um I think that if I was a betting man, I would go 3-0 or 3-1 BLG, though. So, rip. But, hey, this is the best chance we got, and I'm going to be rooting for our best chance. And, um, yeah, just, you know, don't be predictable, GT. You already aren't. Just keep at it. Keep playing weird shit, having wacky drafts, and I hope it works out. And, uh, you know, if you do get a lead in the early game, which I think they're very capable of doing in BLG, just don't lose your minds. Like, that's honestly what have been G2's biggest downfalls is they just lose their freaking minds past 20 minutes with a big lead. So, um, yeah, um, good luck. And uh, holy cow. <laughs> <All right. laughs> <Good luck. laughs> yeah. Please don't Please. be 3-0. If you don't win, at least don't, don't be, be a 3-0. 3-0. Have competitive games within within the series and actually... Fall through the finish line. All right, let's talk about the meat and potatoes, the freaking best series that's going to happen ever. C9 versus Gen G. Do our boys have a chance? Any chance at all? <laughs> <laughs> if it was like a lit- I, literally, if it was a C9 BLG rematch for some godforsaken reason, I think they would have a chance the second time around because I think they might have improved between then and now. Gen G is terrifying, dude. Uh, they, I think, our closest matchup. Is Blabber, uh, in my mind, or um, or Berserker? Actually, Berserker mm. might be it. And Blabber. I think that 
Pina, if he's not playing his characters, which he hasn't been so far this tournament, there's a chance. And I think Berserker is either as good as Pays if they were on the same team, or maybe even a little better. I think Berserker actually yeah. looks insane. That the way he smurfed against Stixay with his Jinx, crazy. Yeah. Uh, Spacing. But it's a team game, and Chovy is much better than MS. Even when MS is like on his heads, if he coin flipped to heads, still gonna get smacked by Chovy, yeah. guys. Like Chovy in lane destroys Western mid laners generally, right? Unless it's like maybe peak caps or something like that. We haven't gotten to see that, but I, you know, it's possible if caps ever plays well again. <laughs> uh, and top lane, like Fudge isn't it. I, I didn't get into it too much, but every time internationally, he, he had one good tournament. He's very right. first, but his very first worlds, I think was yeah. good. And then yeah. every time since then, he's just been kind of, yeah, eh. he, like he looks really good against NA still, but he just, every time, he just looks average at best. And Zen, I mean, Delight's also underperforming. So Zen's lucky there. But Zen has also looked kind of exposed by some of the better uh, supports out here. So I want C9 to have a chance. But frankly, this is this looks way worse than the previous matchup we just talked about. I think it's a 3-0 for Genji. I'm so uh, yeah, sorry. I, I think if oh. you understand the game well enough and you're not being blinded by Copium or Hopium, it's a 3-0 Genji. Um, I think it's, it's unfortunate that you know, even as a podcast of LCS, even as fans, like we can't be disillusioned into thinking that C9 has a chance. Um, if they take, like, this is kind of the same sentiment I had GD, uh, for GG versus JDG. Oh my God, those hard, names are hard to say. Uh, for last last week is like, if C9 takes a single game off Gen G, I will actually be surprised. I will be impressed. They'll be like, damn, you guys actually took a game? That's impressive. Because Gen G is one of those teams where. They're pretty chill in the early game, and if they get to mid-game and they're even or they're ahead, the game is just over. Even against the top teams, even against the best teams in the entire world, if they're even or ahead and it's 20-25 minutes, they have a very high chance of winning. Their macro, their team fighting is insane, right? It's just, you know, sure, they can be a little lazy and slow in the early game, but that doesn't matter if you're not good enough in general, right? It doesn't matter if you get a big lead against Gen G as C9, you probably won't be able to close it out anyways. Um, I think the only chance we have is if Cloud9 seriously levels up between now and their match. They have a few days to prepare. Uh, if they come up with some new picks, they need to have surprising champions that honestly, I'm going to... I've, I don't agree with LS that often, but he did say something recently about the gap between East and West, and I think it's it's a fine short-term problem. It's not a long-term problem, but as a short-term problem, sure. Pick scaling drafts, pick scaling champions, because the early game and the laning phase has not been a massive problem for the West. It's been being able to close out the game. So if you have some sort of Exodia late game sort of champion or comp mm-hmm. combination, maybe that's enough to take a game here and there. So... I wouldn't yep. be. I wouldn't hate. I don't know if he picks if Chovy blinds Cassante mid, dude. Just go Aurelian Soul, man. I don't know if Eminus plays it, but like, what do you got to lose, right? Just like, right. I'd maybe do some weird Senna stuff. Like, I don't know what you got to lose. Like, you just pick some weird super uber late game scaling. Rely heavily on your ability to stay even in the early and mid game, uh, and then hope the champion is enough of a difference between just the insane kind of late game scaling macro that happens with Genji. Um, I'll, I'll shout out hundred thieves last year at worlds where they kind of had this idea too, where they knew they were worse than most of the teams. So they picked 
OPS late game Seraphine Senna bot lane, even though they did have FBI as a great ADC player. They still put him on the Seraphine. I don't hate it. I really don't, right? They had a really close game against RG that they almost won because they, they have an Exodia comp and they couldn't play it well enough. But I mean, this is the kind of things you have to cheese out against teams that are better than you. So that's that's the only hope I have for C9 versus Gen G is they can do something unexpected and creative and maybe Gen G will underestimate them. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts on this series before we move on? Yeah. I would say historically that a lot of the times we win by cheese, like, yeah, there's a couple like gigabyte Marines winning with the yeah. Nocturne cheese, but like a lot of the biggest upsets like ANX versus uh, Ku Tigers or whichever Tigers yeah. it was, was because they just picked some Exodia bullshit for late game. They stalled to it. It was like a 50 plus minute game and they won. It was a 65 <laughs> and they yeah. won. Or they got close, right? In in some cases, I don't actually know if they beat Gigabyte. Um, beat they, the Tigers, they beat but they Tigers. definitely yeah, won a lot. Of, yeah, yeah, they did, right? Yeah, it was a long ass game, and they were like playing some weird shit. That whole tournament, they were playing weird, shit, like brand yep. support. So play the stuff you're good at, or play the stuff that is good super late. And like, if you if they make a mistake, and you can stall long enough, you have a win con. Unfortunately, like our early game isn't the problem. So we keep cheesing. And then <laughs> our Renekton just falls off a cliff or whatever falls off a cliff. Lee Sin falls off a cliff in the Mad Lions game, for example. So I I, I know it sounds kind of hypocritical, but like the times have changed. And if our cheese early game isn't working, we need to find a different angle. Right? Yep. It's, you got to throw the curveballs, right? I think for years, it's like it's going to maybe feel uncomfortable for some viewers, right? Because for years we say our, like we need more early game. We need to be able to actually like transition to the mid game. We have all these early game stuff. We have all this late game stuff. I mean, we're just getting smacked and it, it never sees the light of day because they're, they're too solid in the early game. Well, you know, this tournament in isolation is very different from what has been happening in just all the past tournaments is that, yeah, our early game is solid. Yeah, we picked early game champions. We're mm-hmm. able to transition. So got to throw an extra curveball in there. Got to adapt on the fly in the moment. Um, hopefully they can do it. God, I hope that C9 wins. I'm like, I know they're going to get 3-0'd, but I still am praying to the league gods that they just win for some reason. You know, I don't know. (laughs) Um, So let's move on to the last very hype. Oh, I'm so excited for this series. Uh, JDG versus T1 might be a finals rematch that we see. Honestly, these are looking like the two best teams. Um, Not by a lot, a lot, right? I actually think like Genji is probably a very close third to these two best teams. So um, what do we think of this matchup, JG versus T1? Uh, my dream scenario is that I think it's closer. So I think it's going to go to get five games, which is, I guess, an easy yep. prediction to make. My dream scenario is that T1 wins this, which might surprise some people. And then we go to the finals and they get smashed. <laughs> um, no! I just want the, the curse. To win. <laughs> I like all the T1 players for the most part, but I don't like... I, I also... not. I don't like... I really like the meme, oh, no. though. <laughs> and I think it's a realistic scenario because that also gives us where we get to see JDG Genji, which we haven't gotten yep. to see yet. Um, so, well, assuming Genji doesn't, you Lose know... see C9. Or, sorry, I guess we can see JDG yeah. C9. You know? Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, point, the point is, right, that's my that's my dream world. I actually think JDG will win, though. I think they'll win 3-2. Um, they have shown more. They've shown a lot of resilience. They've shown some incredible team fighting. But they also haven't been challenged that much. That's the only thing. So they have more cards to hold. 
but they also haven't learned as many tough yeah. lessons, right? Um, the thing is, JDG's not even playing their best characters. Like right now, Knight just like randomly pulled off meta Syndra. Uh, he's not like, it's not a Silas meta. It's not a Lucian meta. He's not playing shit that can like Smurf, right? Or he's known for his Echo as well. He's That's how he got good and like got well known. And none of those characters are meta. The people are playing Nautilus meta for God's sake. Syndra's not normal. Syndra's bad. Syndra's bad unless you can play like how Knight played it. So this they could also pull curveballs. And I really am that I think T1, why they screwed up so much about losing to Genji is they had to actually show their tryhard mode. And they also showed weakness. And my issue is I don't know if T1's the org that's known for like coming back from looking bad. Um we'll see. Actually, they they did have a year they went like five five or six four in MSI plans and then they won. Or uh, plans in the group stage and then they won the whole thing. So yeah, we'll see. It, it's it's a tough one because I think for a lot of this series is going to depend on the mentality of T1. Um, I think if they're playing at their best, this will be a very competitive 3-2 that anybody can take. But something I've noticed is Zeus has really strayed away from playing carry champions. He has fallen yep. full default into tank mode, which is not something you want to see when you look just at his world performance last year where it was just carry top bangers all the way until I guess the finals where he kind of fell off, right? Um, Zeus was considered the god of top lane for a long time. And I got to say, 369 has kind of gone back and forth from having that title in his hands, but it's firmly in his in 369's hands right now. He is playing tanks and he's playing carries very, very well all the time. So I think that's going to be the biggest difference maker is both the draft and the skill discrepancy that comes in the top lane. If Zeus can get his mental straight and actually just play like his best, I think we have a very competitive, very close series that can go either way. But if it goes, if he plays how he played against Gen G and it's just all tanks, I do favor uh, JDG and I do favor 369. I think it'll still be 3-2, maybe 3-1, but I'm, I'm going three uh, JDG as well. Other matchups that are interesting, of course, Knight versus Faker is just like, it's like legend versus legends. It's like the OG most decorated legend versus kind of like an unsung hero legend that's never really able to cement himself wanting to dethrone the best right this is a huge series for jd or for um knight this is a huge tournament for knight if he's able to win domestically so many times and have it not matter if he can make it happen this year this will cement knight finally is actually a true legendary mid laner um so i'm excited for him and i'm excited for the series um i think that the bot lane is going to be both the bot lanes are playing super well Super strong, super consistently, super just like insane damage, insane positioning, lots of champion variety. So I think the bot lane's gonna just, there's just gonna be neck and neck, toe to toe. I mean, this is ruler versus Gumushi. How many times have these guys played against each other, right? Um, so this is gonna be fun. Uh, I do think Kanavi versus Owner, same sort of deal. Both can play cherries, both can play tanks. Very, very clutch, very, very strong players. It's just going to be up to the solo laners, right? They're, I think they're going to really define what the difference is between these teams. Um, yeah, any any last thoughts on this hype matchup? Yeah, I think people will point out, if they haven't already, that this matchup did happen last year, semis, and T1 won pretty handily 3-1. But... That was with Yagao and yep. Hope. And Hope specifically. I thought Yagao was actually okay. Uh, but Hope specifically was like not... It wasn't a good tournament for him. Even though I think he's yep. a good player. Ruler is world yep. class. He is... I think he is at the very least as good as Guma. And currently he looks 
you know, as good or maybe yeah. a little better, yeah. right? And I think Knight is playing carries in a meta where people are freaking spamming like Cassante Nautilus mid. And to be fair, Knight's Cassante, uh, especially his Nautilus, was not <laughs> his Nautilus was bad. His Cassante yeah. was fine. His Nautilus was bad, but his carry play is mm-hmm. sick. So I really want to see it, but I don't know if we'll get the hype like carry versus carry matchup. It could just be like Knight picks Syndra in game three and they lock in Galio. And you're just like, yeah. oh, <laughs> end yeah. it all. Uh, I want to see them bash each other's brains out, though. I want to see the the new guard, old guard stuff go in. And I want to see if this new JDG, who has way better players in their main two roles that carried the game so far, uh, can yeah. win. I definitely, I definitely agree with a lot of those sentiments. And... Um, I'm really excited for it. And I also will agree, uh, even though I predicted JDG to win, I kind of want them to lose just so we can see JDG Gen G, just for the fun of it. Like, I don't even care about who wins at that point. Like, I just want to see more teams play against each other, right? More combinations. Um, like, because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's ruler versus his old team, right? Like, ugh. our nightmare scenario is JDG loses tilts and then loses Gen G, and we get LCK finals three oh times in a goodness. row. That would be so <laughs> freaking ridiculous. That would be <laughs> hilarious as well. It, it's possible. It's, it's very it possible. Happen. Yeah, it's just, it's very possible because it's these three teams are very neck and neck close to each other in power level, I think. Um, and yeah. I mean, I personally would want JDG to fall down, maybe like on purpose, throw against T1, just so they can smack Gen G and Ruler can say, I won the divorce, and then they go on and win the finals. That would- <laughs> <laughs> I won the divorce, and then they can say, we beat all of all of the best teams yep, in we Asia. we lost. Because they would beat BLG, Gen G, and yep. T1 then. And they, of course, beat Golden Guardians, the second best team too, in the whole world. So Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that would be really, really fun. Um, and then, yeah, we, uh, we can't really predict the rest of the matches because we don't know. Um, we have to wait for more results because it is just straight marathon right to the finals. So we're going to try and close out the podcast at this time. Um, any final thoughts in general overall about MSI and League of Legends that you want to throw out before we end it? Uh, my final thoughts are I think the casting team has actually done a pretty good job. They didn't always have like the strongest combos doing the cast, but they were still doing a good job. I think the Korean casters, they actually finally got to cast a Korean yeah. <laughs> match internationally. Atlas and Chronicler and Dagda were doing the cast. It was actually a good cast. Uh, besides the part where, uh, not the Koreans, but someone else said T1 was the number one seed mm. multiple times. I'm like, they're not, guys. They didn't yeah. win. Stop gaslighting yeah. me. Uh, and then the last thing I want to point out is Azale in the Golden Guardians match when they were starting to win. And he said, these beautiful bastards are doing it. He got fined for that, and I love him <laughs> Let's for it. go. That was legendary. I need to highlight yeah. our boy Azale. I think it was Azale. I'm pretty sure yeah, it was Azale. Was, I remember. And he got fined, and I'm like, worth definitely worth it, man. And 10 out of 10. BLG was, or, or, uh, Golden Guardians was almost going to come back. It was like so hype. It didn't happen, but that would have been legendary, Dude, man. the if play that he said it to when it was like, freaking i think it was uh river on vibe just like going in and then all of them tping in and all of a sudden it's like five people there it looked like ruler was gonna clean up the fight but then they had a magical turn when ruler looked like he was about to pentakill him and they actually kill ruler and it was like they killed all four of them three of ggs lived it looked so hype it was awesome man that game too though was definitely something uh, we're gonna take away with the win like even though we didn't actually win it was so awesome that we were able to do that to jdg and Oh, Is they all had the had the best call? I like don't find the man. Give him a, a freaking honor. Give him an award. That was you give him a raise. Give dude. him a, a medal. It was so hype. Yeah, like that, the bravery, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, it's I along the it. lines of Cajal like saying like "fuck" in like the finals last year when when Guma yeah, yeah. stole the uh, Baron. <laughs> like, it's just worth. Don't find the man. It's so good. It makes everybody just love it even more. Like, I'm freaking, I'm slamming my freaking desk right now, man. It's so good. Like, no one's gonna follow up. No one's gonna check. Yeah. Okay, just don't find him. Wait, 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 fine. What, what you think? League of Legends watching parents are watching this because with their kids being like, "Hey, don't say that to my kid." <laughs> you know, like they play League of Legends, bro. <laughs> they get it ten times a day. All right, <laughs> I think that's gonna do it for us on this podcast. We've been going on for a while, just the two of us. Uh, thank you for mm-hmm. tuning in. It's been a fun time. We will catch you at the end of MSI, hopefully with the full squad. But until then, try not to be too toxic. We'll see you on the next episode. Peace. Thanks for listening to the best fan-made League of Legends podcast ever. If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoyed the show. Remember, we want you, the listener, to be a part of this show. So join our Discord and join the conversation. And finally, if you think we're worthy, Consider supporting us by visiting our Patreon. For as low as $5 a month, which is basically a cup of coffee, you can ensure that we keep the show running and you can get a few extra perks as well. Thanks again, and we hope you'll tune in next week to the All In Podcast.